Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are and hearing the sound of my voice. I want to thank you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. This is the podcast where we try to bring you the best information so that you can see where you are today, see where you want to be, and that you get to close the gap. And as you know, I always say small steps consistently done over time brings brilliant results. And that is what we're about here. This is an interesting podcast because unfortunately, as a podcaster, you actually can't see my guests, but I encourage you to go to this person's website so that you get to see him because he defies stereotypes. And as you know, I'm all about this whole thing about implicit bias and diversity and all this other thing. And the root of it is that we form these stereotypes about people from the way we see them and the way they move in the world. Well, my next guest is Noble Gibbons. So let me tell you something. We talk about the imposter syndrome. We talk about fear of failure. We talk about people pleasing, being overworked, and shaky boundaries and bad expectations. And those are just a few reasons corporate executives choose to work with me. But did you know that all of these feelings are symptoms of an inability to identify and manage your feelings and the feelings of others? You may have heard of implicit bias. It's that automatic thinking that starts with how we feel and sense the people around us. And then we make decisions on what we're going to do. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong information. If you met my next guest, you might ask, what can a West Point grad, a former infantry officer in the U.S. Army, tattooing wearing six foot one guy, tell you about emotional intelligence? Well, I'm here to tell you plenty. (laughs) Noble Gibbons is the person you'd least expect to be talking about feelings and emotions. An uncharacteristic fight with his wife a few years ago revealed a glaring issue. He says he was clueless when it came to handling his emotions. Hmm, I think that's probably something a lot of couples might say. But today, Noble is an EQ, emotional intelligence practitioner, and teaches emotional intelligence on his five-star rated podcast, EQ for Entrepreneurs. He brings 23 years experience as an entrepreneur, an international keynote speaker, And he helps corporate clients, entrepreneurs, leaders, and influencers get their emotions working for them and not against them. With that, Nobo, how you doing? (laughs) Denise, what's going on? It's so great to see you and connect with you. So I've got to to say, so your comment about defying stereotypes. So we've spoken to thousands of people all around the world, and it was so funny. So I had just done a, a, a keynote for probably a thousand, two thousand people. And when I came off the stage, there was a you know a number of folks wanting to meet and connect. And one of the <laughs> gentlemen who had come up said, Noble, I've listened to a number of your your podcast episodes and a number of your different 
audio recordings and, and stuff. And I, I had never seen you. I've been listening to you for a year, year and a half now. I thought you were a black guy from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, surprise. I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> and I can imagine the first half hour, he is not listening to what you're saying. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is this the same guy? What is going on? <laughs> that's right. That's Hopefully right. Hopefully he closed his eyes and he was able to absorb what I know was rich, rich information that would help him and everybody else in the audience. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So it was funny. You're you're absolutely right. I never would have thought that, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that a big giant tattoo airborne ranger from West Point would be teaching emotional intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, well, let's start there. Tell us, how did you, I mean, we got the fight thing. But there's got to be another story behind that. It's another layer of the story. So tell me what, tell me how you got to this. Sure. Yes, ma'am. So lots of definitely some, some, some context here. So here's another talk about breaking stereotypes. Another one that, you know, not many people would make the connection. So I'm part Hispanic. So my mom is a four foot 10 little Hispanic lady. And my dad was a big giant white guy. So I look like my dad. <laughs> But but I can abla and I can I I got moves I got I got moves so <laughs> so when my when my Hispanic friends hear me speak Spanish they're like how can you speak Spanish right 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 right, right. <laughs> and then when I hit the dance floor I get the same thing like man you got you got some moves <laughs> so so how all this kind of came to be in a number of Hispanic homes so this is this is another stereotype that is not right. always accurate but this is you know in some cases the Hispanic ladies are known to be very very strong kind of mm-hmm. outspoken ladies and again that is a stereotype this was true in my house so my, <laughs> my mom we always call I, we call it the Tasmanian angel because dynamite comes in small pack yeah. <laughs> so in our house we handled conflict and this is not a, trying to knock on my parents because I've got I could say a million great things about them. Right, right. This was just one area that they were not not very good in. When we would argue, I call them intense family fellowships. Okay, mm-hmm, so when, mm-hmm. when, when when we would argue, we would yell at each other, and whoever yelled the loudest mm-hmm. won. Mm-hmm. And then we'd stomp off into our respective corners of the house because we got all upset. And then we'd come back thirty minutes an hour later literally like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Hey, so what's for dinner? Hey, who, you know, who's playing basketball tonight? Or, and, and so we never, ever addressed, we had no conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. We never addressed or talked about feelings and emotions. And so in a very emotionally charged house with mm-hmm. a lot, you know, a lot of emotions going on with a lot of our, again, how we handle conflict. I learned from a very, very early age how to stuff and avoid my emotions, mm-hmm. which also led me to a conclusion that, man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm feeling a lot of intensity right now. I have no language to describe what I'm feeling because we never talked about it. Right, right. Which is another major minor detail. And 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 as a result, I don't know how to 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 manage those those things that I'm feeling not knowing their emotions and feelings. And I don't know how to get rid of them. I don't know how to, to, to get rid of them. And so not only are they, they, they must not be important because mm-hmm. we're never talking about them in my family, 
And the connection that I made at that point early in my childhood was then I must not be important. Mm-hmm. And so unbeknownst to me, that began my my insecurities. It mm-hmm. began my, my people-pleasing addiction. It began my self-condemnation and self-hatred and mm-hmm. self-sabotage. Unbeknownst to me, that's where that all started. And then from there, I went to West Point a number of years ago. And you know, back then at West Point, we're not, no one cares about feelings and emotions it's there. The task right. to be done. <laughs> That's right. And then, I, you know, I go to airborne school, learn how to jump out of airplanes and ranger school and then, then infantry school and then uh, 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, jumping out of airplanes. And we're definitely not talking about feelings <laughs> and emotions there. Yes, because most people hearing you say that, the first feeling is, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and back then, you know, and this is where it's so funny how, how, you know, God works or, you know, just how it all works is that back then when, when someone said, Hey, you know, no, we need to work on your soft skills mm-hmm. is what, you know, the term I, that we heard back then. I'm like, dude, like, I don't care about soft skills. Soft skills don't impact hard skills at all. Mm-hmm. I just need to learn how to shoot better. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, that was the greatest myth, lie, falsehood I could have ever known or believed, not realizing that soft skills directly impact our hard skills and our effectiveness and productivity in in our in the job world, not just in the military, but mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I, I got involved in business. I got involved in this network marketing company, became financially independent at 30 years old. And that kind of gave me my bug for business. From there, I started, was a part of probably 10 other startup businesses. And, and then four years ago, five years ago was when I yelled at my wife and, and she said, and I yelled at her three times in the span of three weeks. And she said three things, Noble, don't ever do that again. You've never done that before, which means something's wrong with you. And so I'm like, man, babe, you're right. I don't know what's going on. We went to counseling and our counselor introduced me to this revolutionary new concept called feelings and emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Brand new, brand new. (laughs) And so that began my journey on, on, you know, my emotional growth journey. And what was shocking to me, so after probably two years into this very intentional, all in immersion into learning about, about feelings and emotions, because, and why I even jumped all in was because I hate knowing that I don't know something that mm-hmm. is impacting me, especially negatively, especially mm-hmm. as a leader. Mm-hmm. So I like I've never heard of feelings and emotions before. What is this voodoo magic you're talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. I need to learn about this. And so once I started, and after about two years of really intentionally growing and changing, I, I looked back and realized every single area of my life was impacted as a result of my emotional growth, my mm-hmm. faith, my parenting, my marriage my finances, my business decisions, every, my health, I've lost 50 pounds and I've kept it off for the past nine months. Mm -hmm. And if you know my back, I've I've been addicted to food my whole life because that was a coping mechanism of mine. Mm -hmm. So all these different areas. And I'm like, babe, so now a year and a half ago, I'm like, babe, I can't be the only emotionally clueless guy out there. There's gotta be other nobles out there. Let me start a podcast, just sharing my own lessons learned Mm -hmm. of how I failed and and the lessons I'm learning to grow and change and improve. And so that started the podcast a year ago, not knowing 
that we started it February of last year, which mm-hmm. was the beginning of the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and all of these other consequences that would happen as a result of the pandemic, where emotional intelligence and emotional health have been talked about more than ever probably in the history of emotional health and emotional intelligence. Yeah, you're right. So everybody's starting to listen now and say, what is this thing? Why does it, why should we care? And it's funny because, you know, prior to pandemic, as you were saying, you hear all the time, soft skills. Well, you got to go learn those soft skill things, which we turned into hard skills. So communication was about presentation and writing and speaking. They were all the hard performative skills, the behavioral skills, but nothing really about your emotional tenor and how your emotional tenor um, and your inability to name your emotions actually impact the way you think. And when you, the way you think dictates how you behave. It's, it's an amazing connection that somehow we just wiped out the first part because we all are tough people and we don't do vulnerability as Brene Brown says. We don't talk about feelings in, in, at work. You know, in fact, it's the opposite. We tell people, leave your, your home life and your emotions at the door. Don't bring them in here. And yet, every time someone gets passionate, everyone who, who has an idea, strong opinion, you know, you get one of two things. If we like you, oh, yeah, that's just Denise. That's just noble. If we don't like you, oh, wait a minute. You're a little passionate there. What's going on? You know, you need to dial it down a little, <laughs> you know, because we, you know, you're overwhelming people, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so it's interesting to almost in a year's time see that. But the other thing I really want to dive in on is talking about, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence like everybody does know it. And it is this thing of feelings, how you feel about something, but also how you navigate the feelings of other people. The other way I talk about that is in every organization, there's politics. Politics by nature is not a bad word. It's not something, you know, nasty or something to be avoided. Politics simply means how we've learned to integrate and talk to each other and get things done through other individuals. And so if this invisible thing or this thing we're not paying attention to called emotions are acting, what have you found in working with your clients, working with other entrepreneurs and your speaking and your lessons, even for yourself as a business person, if you don't do those things well, what happens? Great question, Denise. And again, unbeknownst to me prior to this whole emotional growth journey, emotions impact every single one of our decisions, mm-hmm. it, including all of my analytical, logical thinkers that say, dude, I, you know, I, I don't have emotions or I don't use emotions or I, I've learned how to tone, tune my emotions out. Even those people, unbeknownst to them, physiologically use emotions without them even realizing it. Because physiologically, the the emo, the, the decision-making hits our emotion center of our brain mm-hmm. before it hits ever hits our logic part of our brain. Yeah. So we, we can't, so we can think that, hey, I'm just, Hey, Denise, I just don't let emotions affect me. No, no, you just don't know how emotions are affecting you. So, and so I, and what's been really interesting with a number of my, my corporate clients, senior executives, C-level folks as well, that I've got access to a scientific EQ assessment as a mm-hmm. certified you know, emotional intelligence practitioner. Mm-hmm. And it's been fascinating. So it assesses people in 15 different subscales of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And while... Obviously, 
senior executives and senior leaders and stuff are, are very strong in some areas of emotional intelligence. What I have found, there are many other areas that they are very low in, in emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's pretty much like everything else. We have some strengths and we have some areas that we need to pay attention to. And in this particular area, I think, you know, you use your assessment. I think I have mine and probably every good coach has an assessment of some sort. It's really getting people to understand when you're not, when you have developmental areas, how do they impact your strengths? Because isn't that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? That's exactly right. And, and I, I talked to another leadership coach a couple of days ago and I told him, I said, Jeff, me, I, I'm a, a perfect example of this. I've known my personality for 20 years. I, like, I, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, there's DISC, there's Personality Plus, there's all these different personality assessments. So I, I've known my personality for, for 20 years. I've, I've known my strengths for 20 years. I, I you know, I've used, I use StrengthsFinder 2.0, mm-hmm. Tom Rath, Gallup poll and stuff. And so I know my strengths. So I've known my strengths. I know my personality, know my spiritual gifts, these different areas for 20 years. And I'm, oh yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Unbeknownst to me that entire time, I have not been emotionally healthy. Yeah. So I have been operating at 30 to 40% capacity, mm-hmm. still knowing my strengths. I know some great leadership tools. I know some great behavioral models, behavioral processes. But because I've been emotionally unhealthy that entire time, mm-hmm. I've been operating at 30 to 40% of my max capacity. Mm-hmm. And so now after getting healthier emotionally, I won't say I'm healthy emotionally, but I'm healthier emotionally. Now I'm already in the past few years seeing my capacity and my productivity and my performance begin to really increase on an exponential scale. And again, I would have never known that prior to this, this emotional growth. So emotional health, I feel, undergirds or is the foundation of really being able to reach your full capacity in a performance standpoint. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people may not realize, even and especially my high performance, high achievers is, but no, dude, I'm already in the top 5% of of people, period. Like, what are you talking about? I'm emotionally healthy or I'm emotionally strong or resilient, whatever. Or it doesn't matter because I am performing so well. That's exactly right. And and here's what happens a lot of times. What I found is, is that we because, you know, the, you know, human as humans, the the human, you know, the human species, uh, you know, we are survivors Mm -hmm. by by nature, by Mm -hmm. definition, almost. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is we have become dysfunctionally functional. Mm. Right. We're functional in our dysfunction. It's like the the functional alcoholic who. Right. Drinks all the time, but still can can perform and manage. That's what happens with our emotional dysfunction mm-hmm. as well. We figure mm-hmm. how to compensate, but right. here's one of my favorite quotes I say all the time. Unaddressed emotional issues don't get better over time. Right. They actually compound. Yeah. So we may think that the emotional injuries that we keep stuffing and avoiding, stuffing and avoiding are not impacting us. I'm telling you, it's another one, another one of my favorite cheesy quotes. Pain and bitterness that's not transformed will be transferred somewhere in your life and it will show up at some time in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting because it's not only about what's happening to me. So the other side of emotional intelligence is how I manage others. So this idea of, you know, if it's transformed in some other part of your life is how you deal with other people. Like you're saying with your wife, you were, you were upset about something else. And then what happened is she shows up and then you take it out on her. 
And how many times do we see that? Shifting a little bit, you know, we're coming out of being in quarantine for, you know, a, a year, 15 months, however you want to count it. And there's lots and lots, probably more than we've ever seen, discussion about burnout, mental health, and how both of those are affecting our physical health. Both of those are affecting our ability to think, et cetera. And so, and to be with each other and the need to have hugs, you know, just be human again, that human experience again. But I'm concerned, and it's been written about that because we didn't learn the lessons of emotional intelligence and managing our emotions before, now that we're at such a low pit, because that's what burnout means. It means that we are emotionally tired. And what happens from being emotionally tired, our brain just says, I got to collapse and I got to cut this out. And we got to go to the lowest level amount of decision making that we can make here. And so we miss things. We miss opportunities. We get short with other individuals. So now we've got folks who are coming out of it. You know, there's the 60% of people who didn't have the luxury of, well, it may not be a luxury, but they didn't have the opportunity to be at home. And we've got 40% of the workforce who were at home trying to navigate all of these things. These are two tired bunches of people coming together. (laughs) And executives have got to figure out how to read, you know, their own emotions, understand where they're coming from when they're tired. And they've got to be able to do it for other individuals. Tell us when you're when you're thinking about this, when you were going through it, what are one or two things, two, one or two ways to kind of begin to build our a capacity um, to handle emotions, which builds our capacity to do critical thinking and problem solving. What did you learn? Excellent, excellent question, Denise. And, and it is a very real dynamic, as, as you pointed out, as is evidenced by Forbes and Fortune and Harvard Business Review and Inc. and Fast Company and Business Insider and all the the, the publications out there that are talking about this subject almost on a daily basis. So here's the visual that I like to use. One of the visuals is my wife, in fact, just yesterday, she loves walking in in our neighborhood. And, you know, we live in Colorado. It's beautiful, the Rockies and no humidity. It's great. And that's kind of her her therapy is in her, you know, for mental health and emotional health is just getting out and walking and stuff. And she said, man, you know, she just got some new shoes, these new shoes, real nice shoes. And she's like, man, no, but I feel like I had a rock in my shoe the whole time, but but I couldn't I couldn't find it. That's exactly what happens with emotional dysfunction mm-hmm. and burnout. And this past year, there's an emotional rock in our shoe. Mm-hmm. But we're not emotionally aware of it. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we know something's going on, but if we're not self-aware, we, we don't know what is going on. And if we're not and if we're not good at self-management, we don't know what to do about it. Right, right, right. So to answer to answer your question, there are a couple practical exercises that I recommend to a number of my clients, and it's this whole concept again is so huge because it's so again it's more important than ever because mm-hmm. folks, whether you're remote or whether you're you're in person, so many people are are kind of running off of fumes because yeah. of this past year and, yeah. and the, the dynamic, and so. The, the importance of creating emotionally healthy cultures in our workplace has been, never been more important. So a couple of things that I'm that I'm doing with with some of the executives that I'm working with to help change the culture of their organization. How do you change the culture of organization? Well, first you got to change the culture of you first, yeah. Yeah. in order for the culture to 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 waterfall out to the rest of the organization. So one 
tool that I that I recommend is a tool called the Mood Meter app, uh-huh. and it's 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 like ninety nine cents, and and there's there's probably all kinds of different apps out there, but it's it's very simple, it's it's very easy to use, and there's really two aspects to this. The first question that it asks is, "How are you feeling?" I'm feeling, and what's cool is it starts off with big picture first. So, are you feeling pleasant or unpleasant? So it mm-hmm. kind of it has a, a quadrant, and then it also asks, "Are you feeling?" Are you feeling high energy or low energy? Mm-hmm. And as someone who is 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 kind of new into this journey, again for me, I'm three to four years in this journey. Because sometimes my emotional vocabulary isn't very well dialed in yet, yeah. so I'm still learning what the different emotions even mean. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, I like okay. Well, am I pleasant or unpleasant? Okay, so pleasant. Okay, so now I'm on this side of the quadrant. Mm-hmm. Am I feeling high energy or am I feeling low energy? Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of chill, kind of mellow, but it's pleasant. So, okay, so I'm in this quadrant. Well, of the four quadrants, each quadrant has 25 different emotions mm-hmm. that you can choose from. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I'll, I will literally click on every single emotion to see which one I feel best accurately ex- describes me. And then some of them I have to click on just to see what it even means still. Because, again, I'm still yeah, feeling my, yeah, yeah. My, my emotional vocabulary. Then once you select that emotion, then this is the next level of self, of growing your self-awareness, is why are you feeling that particular emotion? And so now I'll just type in very quickly. This this whole exercise takes all of maybe 30 seconds to, to do, you know, 20 to 30 seconds. So it's not time-consuming. It's very easy. And, and so I fill in because it's important to not just identify what you're feeling, but why you're feeling it is kind of the next level of yeah. kind of deeper awareness. So that begins that the, the whole self-awareness deal, just to know, okay, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? I love that and, you're referencing Mark Brackett's work, Permission to Feel. He's done and his book is excellent. His talk talks on uh, YouTube, et cetera. Absolutely brilliant. And so I'm I'm pleased to find he's got an app because I've used that in my training classes with um, executives of where you at on this whole meter. And that is a perfect thing. You have to name it first to be able to acknowledge it and then do anything about it. That's right. And, and there's a lot of physiology that's yes. going on as well in just naming it because yes. our brains are such master organizers. If you have an emotion that's bouncing around in your head and your body mm-hmm. that you haven't identified or that the brain hasn't been able to, to organize or file yet, that by itself causes stress and anxiety. Yeah. So just the act of, of naming the emotion helps to tame that emotion also, mm-hmm. just that act by itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other dynamic, so that's, so that's one way, one tool or one exercise that I recommend to help folks start become more, more consistent and learn how to become more self-aware. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next tool is kind of a fun one. And mm-hmm. it's it's also helpful because a lot of times it's it's in a safe environment, it's with your family. So there's another tool that I recommend folks do. It's, it's, what, it's called the emotion wheel. Mm-hmm. You can Google it. We have it on our website, but you can just Google it, emotion wheel. And it has three rings to it. So in the center ring, it's got your, your seven main big emotions, you know, happy, sad, angry, you know, that kind of thing. So some of the big Mm -hmm. ones. And then in the middle tier, it has each of those 
those, let's say, stat, it has it broken down even further in mm -hmm. that second tier. Mm -hmm. And then in the third tier, it has each one broken down even further, more detailed emotion. And so what I recommend executives do to a couple things is leaders, executives, entrepreneurs is two things. Print out that emotion wheel and set it on your desk. Mm -hmm. Stick it on your on your wall in your office. Mm -hmm. So then periodic and, and when you're filling out that emote the, the the mood meter app, you can also use that emotion wheel as a as a tool as to a reference yeah. as a guide for your mood meter app. The other thing that I recommend folks do is take that emotion wheel, print one out for your home as well. Mm -hmm. And maybe once a week, twice a week, when you're doing, you know, having dinner with the family, pull that emotion wheel out and go around the table. Hey Denise. What emotion are you feeling right now? Pull the emotion wheel out, select the emotion that you're feeling. And then as a family, I'll tell little Johnny, little Susie, hey, let's look up what Denise's emotion was that she described at the dinner table. Well, she described fulfilled, that she's feeling fulfilled. Well, what does fulfilled even mean? Well, right, I don't, right, hey, right. right, let's define it, little Johnny. Right. Hey, look it up in the dictionary or pull it up on the phone. And what does fulfilled mean? So define, so now, so now, Let's talk about that particular emotion for a little bit. Okay, well, when have you felt fulfilled, Johnny? Hey, Susie, when have you felt fulfilled? And then now it's Johnny's turn. Okay, Johnny, here's the emotion wheel. Which, which emotion are you feeling on that emotion wheel? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's important for the parents, especially because I've, I've had a lot of folks that have, you know, when I first talked about this, like, man, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm not even comfortable with my own emotions, let alone a family member's emotions. Right. So- Again, what I recommend for folks with this exercise, with any of these exercises is don't do any emotional exercise that you don't feel safe doing. You've got to feel safe and comfortable doing this yourself. Right. So maybe maybe you start off with a mood meter app for you know 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And then as you feel more comfortable with your own emotions, then start to maybe introduce the emotion wheel at home during your lunch or dinner time, maybe once a week. And, and again, and even when you do that with your family, if little Johnny is feeling a big emotion, pleasant mm -hmm. or unpleasant, mm -hmm. it's really important as a parent to stay safe when little Johnny is expressing that potentially intense, unpleasant emotion so that because if, if you create again, this is all about culture. Mm -hmm. So can, can you create a safe culture at home, mm -hmm. which once you learn how to do that, you'll be able to apply that. In, in the work world as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's, you know, in the work world, because that's where I spend most of my time, it's really about boundaries and expectations and having these discussions around what that looks like. The other piece is, is how do we make decisions? I think the what drives our emotions into the unsafe zone, that feeling that I can't be my full self, I can't express myself, and, or I have to express myself in a certain way kind of, of thinking happens when we don't understand what the expectations are around what if I disagree or what if I have a different way of thinking about this and I and I think it's important that the rest of the team that my executive etc hears that or what I hear from many many leaders are you know why am I always surprised about things why don't people feel like they can tell me the truth whatever the truth is and usually the truth is not about opportunities missed it's about or opportunities that we miss is about the failures that we didn't didn't deal with that would have led to greater opportunity out of it, or even achieving some of the opportunities or the goals that we've already set out. And so this idea of how do you create a safe space at work really is about understanding that no matter my decision to come forth and tell the truth or tell my truth, 
really depends on how safe I feel. And if, if I don't feel safe, then that means I feel like I, I can't trust my environment, which means there's danger in my environment. So I'm going to play it safe, which also means that I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And it's, it's important, I think, that you know your idea of first learning to identify it, then learning how to manage it and why, what is it that is happening here? How do I acknowledge it? How do I understand it? And then what's the appropriate kinds of behaviors that I need to, including up to, you know, giving a person a pass and saying, you know what, I need to kind of back out and think about this. Those are all things that one can do because sometimes, you know, unfortunately I found emotions grab us long before we realize. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly that right. we are caught in the whirlpool of what it is. And we set up workplaces where it is very easy for us to get out of it. I mean, think about it. Many of the people I deal with, I'm sure you deal with, you know, they start at eight o'clock in the morning with a meeting or seven o'clock in the morning with a meeting. They don't even plan bathroom breaks. <laughs> you know, it's meeting, the meeting, the meeting, the phone call, the meeting, the meeting, the meeting, you know, trying to figure out when I'm going to eat, not eating very well. I mean, it, it, it leads to, as you were saying very early on, these very unhealthy behaviors, trying to cope with the lack of taking control, having boundaries and having structure in the workplace that's, that honors having a healthy work style, as well as being emotionally healthy in the workplace itself. That's exactly right. Because it's it's two very different things. You know, your own emotional health is one dynamic mm-hmm. as a leader, as an executive. But the other dynamic is what's the what's the emotional health of, of your organization, of the culture of the organization? And part of that, like you said, is is communicating. How safe are you as a communicator? Because the other dynamic that you were talking about, I may not feel safe in the environment or to be able to speak mm-hmm. the truth that I feel like that needs communicated to the group or to the to the leader. Is how is how communication has been allowed to happen. If it's been unsafe communication, if yeah. if, if Denise immediately says, "Noble, that's a stupid idea. You're an idiot." Well, well, guess what? I'm going to learn very quickly. Okay, I am just not going to ever share my ideas or the truth that that needs to be shared because I get immediately shut down. Or, or in some cases, maybe it's not. Hey, you're an idiot. Maybe I'm getting gaslighted. Yeah. Maybe. Well, no, no, well, you just don't understand. You know, that, that dynamic that you're saying is not really happening. And it's like, okay, well, you know, so gaslighting is another dynamic that can happen in a cultural organization. So how, how communication happens also is a reflection of the emotional health of an organization. Yeah. And that is so critical is, is make, again, the, the, and one of the things I say all the time on my podcast is that emotionally healthy people help heal other people emotionally. Mm-hmm. So the, the the healthier that the leader can be emotionally, the more that's going to begin to change the dynamic of the and the culture of the organization that they're a part of. Yeah, because they're role modeling healthy behaviors. And, and you know, we, we cannot, no executive, no leader can, or manager, even a supervisor, you cannot negate the fact that your title gives you certain level of power over other individuals. You determine their salary, what their work schedules are, whether they you know, get rewarded and recognized or they don't get rewarded and recognized, whether they're part of the group or not part of the group. So there's all of these things that has nothing to do with you, but it does have to do with the title that you hold, that whether you believe you have that power, other people know you have that power. Other people will give you that power. 
to say what's right or wrong. And if you're and if you're in a situation where you really need people to give up that discretionary thinking so that they can solve problems faster, they can come up with solutions that matter, then you really have to pay attention to the emotional tenor in your workplace. And that is managing the team and the group. And it's funny because I three weeks ago, I think it is, I did a masterclass for HR people on how to set up a culture and how to understand what this means and how people are going to react and what are the signatures or some of the things you talked about gaslighting. There's the invisible army. There's um, people who just duck and dodge questions that, you know, those kinds of things. And they have tactics in which they will keep things off of them. And there are other things that you can do to create a better and stronger workplace where people do feel like they ha- they have a say in this and they're willing to give up their discretionary thinking so that it benefits the employer and the people around them. That's right. That's exactly right. Is it is it is it safe to disagree? Yeah. Is it is it you know so so how are disagreements handled? How is conflict handled? If if either one of those is off a, a degree or two degrees or five degrees, the greater the degree to which where disagreement and conflict are not handled appropriately, those are all going to create ripple effects mm-hmm. in increasing the unsafety dynamic of the of the culture or the environment. So the, the the more that it's not safe to disagree, the more that it that conflict is not handled properly or appropriately, the less safe and the more off that culture is going to be yeah. and the less effective, ultimately, the less effective and the less productive that culture is going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, you guys know it's we come to that point in the podcast where I have to tell you that, you know, the next thing to do is so noble. Tell us how can people find you? Sure. So our podcast and our YouTube channel are both called EQ for Entrepreneurs, our website, is called eqforentrepreneurs.com. We're also on a lot of the social media platforms as well. This has been so enjoyable, Denise. Thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to interview you on our podcast. (laughs) All right. We, We got a date here so that we can continue this conversation on how do we become emotionally intelligent so that we have better lives, better relationships, and we we achieve the kinds of goals that we talk about here on Closing the Gap. And with that, see ya. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.